Appreciate the worship team this morning leading us in worship. Fascinated by Tag over here playing two instruments at once. Everybody's been noticing that. You guys are so good, we're going to invite you back at the end of the service, all right? So we'll look forward to hearing from them again. Last week we talked about how I became the Lord of the Cheese. If you missed that, you can go back and check that out. But we talked about how we, a lot of us, we even as kids, we would hear the fairy tales of somebody becoming a king or a queen, and we would want to become king or queen ourselves. And sometimes it's because we'd like to be in charge, and we talked about that a little bit last week, how nice it is to have power, where you can make decisions and where you can make things happen your way, and you can be the boss. And for some people, I think that really drives them in life, that desire to be the top dog. And maybe that's why you want to be the king or the queen. But for others of us, as we heard the fairy tales growing up, it wasn't so that we could be the king or the queen so everybody could be impressed with us. It's just that it sounded fun, and it sounded like an adventure. And it sounded like, you know, that's a way to add some excitement to life. If I could just be the king, wouldn't that be fun to live in a castle? I was actually over there in England and visited a few castles. The answer is no, it wouldn't be that exciting to live in a castle, okay? It looked really cold and uh, very uninviting. But anyhow, but we think about that. Oh, this would be so much fun. And we think about the adventure of it. And for most of us, we would love to have a little more adventure, a little more excitement in life. We'd love to be the king and the queen so that we could just break out of the ordinary. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, life is just so ordinary, isn't it? We do the same thing, and we did the same thing we did yesterday and the day before, and we're looking forward to what, what do we got going on this week, and it's like a whole lot more of last week, and we're just transferring it into the future here. And we wish that our lives had a little bit more mm to them. We wish that we could be the king or the queen so that we could experience that. But to be the king or the queen and to experience that, especially in the stories we look at it today, there's something that each of us needs to make that happen. There's something that needs to be inside of us, and I think actually maybe inside of us, but maybe lay, uh, lies dormant, that we need to kind of pull to the surface. It's something that God's put there that will help us move past our ordinary that will help us experience life differently, that maybe gives us that, that jolt of energy, whatever it is, to get us to live a better story. And so we want to talk about that this morning by going back to the story that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, the story of Esther. And so if you want to follow along, we'll be in Esther chapter 5 this morning. But just a quick review of where we've been the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked about the main characters of the story in order of appearance. Xerxes, who was the king, Mordecai, and Esther. And then the fourth guy we added the second week, and his name was Haman. Last week, we talked about the central conflict of the story. And I don't know that I brought that out in, in great detail, but the conflict of the story in Esther is the conflict between Haman and, between Mor and Mordecai. It's the conflict between those two characters. Haman's trying to destroy the Jews. Mordecai is trying to save the Jews. But the conflict is those between those two. Well, today we get to this story, or the part of the story, that we call the climax. The climax is where all of the action comes to a peak and where the story actually turns. And so that's where we are. So that's the structure of the story, the actual details of the story. 
Just a quick review, King Xerxes, who was arguably the most powerful man on earth at his time, also an unsavory character, tries to show off his trophy wife at a party, and she refuses, so she's banished from the kingdom, and the king sets out to find his replacement in a very unsavory way. We might say that as well. But Esther is chosen to be the next queen. She's an orphan girl. Somewhere in the past, lost both her mother and father. She was raised by an uncle, possibly a cousin. It's a little unclear. But she is raised by him, but she's actually chosen to become the next queen. While she's chosen to become the next queen... At the same time, the king has elevated another guy in the kingdom by the name of Haman. He's an evil man, but he rises to second in the kingdom. And he has this conflict with Esther's uncle, Mordecai. And he learns that Mordecai is a Jew, and he decides the way to wipe out uh, Mordecai is to just simply wipe out the Jews. And so Haman goes into the king. Petitions to the king, and the king's like, hey, fine, whatever you want to do, Haman, if you want to wipe out all the Jews, or, but he doesn't know they're Jews, that's a key point to the story, but if you want to wipe out this people group, that's fine, just make a law, and we'll, you know, we'll have a, you know, we'll have a day of execution, is actually what it comes down to. Well, Mordecai is like beside himself with this news, and he goes back to Esther and says, Esther, you're a Jew too. If we're going to be saved, you need to go in and talk to the, the, the king. And so Esther, it's all put on her to go petition the king to say, hey, wait a minute. This Haman just got you to, you know, pass this, this decree of execution to wipe out this people group. Well, I'm in this people group. I'm a Jew. And so Mordecai puts this on Esther, and Esther has to make the decision. And this is what we talked about last week. And she is the one who's actually given a voice. She's given the power of choice in Interesting in this story, too, if all the people in the world God could have chosen, God chooses this girl, this woman, to be the hero of the story, or supposedly. So Mordecai has come in and said, Esther, you got to go talk to the queen. But Esther's like, ah, that's not so easy. You know, you can only go talk to the, the king as if he invites you. And I haven't been invited. In fact, I haven't been invited for the last month. I haven't had a conversation with this guy in the last month. And I'm not sure if that's the best idea. And what is Mordecai says, well, you know what? If you don't go in there, Esther, God will bring deliverance from other sources. But really, I think that maybe you put into this position for this time, for this moment. And finally, Esther looks at him and says, okay, you know what? I'll do it. If I perish, I perish. That's the phrase that she used. If I perish, I perish. And so she decides that she's going to go in and she's going to talk to the king. And that's where we ended the story last week. And so as we pick up the story today, Esther is standing in the hallway, as it were, outside of the great hall where the king sits. And she's about to take that first step. Well, we read this story, and especially if you're familiar with this story, we're kind of like, okay, I hope it all goes well. Esther, it wasn't like that. That was probably the biggest, scariest thing she'd ever done. And not that she had not been without some scary situations in her life previously, and we know that to be true. But as she steps into that room, literally, her life is on the line. Because probably sitting beside the king would have been the guards, and probably among the guards would have been the executioner, and so she's walking into a room where she may be basically facing the firing squad, 
and she has no idea what's going to happen. You ever been in one of those situations in life? Probably not that one. But where you have to take a big step, where you have to do something that's daring, where you have to do something that's uncomfortable, you have to do something that's risky and intimidating and nerve-wracking. And as you, in this story, can feel the tension and feel what this woman must have been going through and how she felt inside, maybe you've experienced those same emotions yourself. Where you're like, oh, gosh, this is scaring me to death. But the reason that you feel that way is because you're being asked, well, there's a lot of reasons for it, but one of the reasons you're being feeling this way is because you're being asked to draw on this idea or this attribute or this virtue of courage. And so the question for Esther is, well, okay, you're the queen. Do you still want to be the queen? Probably not in this situation. And for us, hey, do you still want to be the king or the queen? Do you really want to experience something out of the ordinary or something maybe a little more daring or, or something challenging to, to break up the monotony of your life? Well, are you willing to take that hard step? Are you willing to call on the courage that you're going to need to take? And so let me just start this morning by, by suggesting several things we can see from Esther up to this point in the story and what courage looks like, and then we'll see what happens, and then we'll come back and add just a little bit more in the end, more about what courage looks like. But here's when courage comes. And sometimes courage, we just need to remind ourselves, sometimes I don't have to be courageous as much as I need to do something, to do something courageous, and as I'll move into that, the courage comes as I go. And so I think courage comes, first of all, when you see the cause is bigger than you are. Oftentimes when I'm facing a hard situation, and we need courage in so many different ways in life, don't we? Could be something going on at home, something going on at work, something that's going on at school, all these different places. But we have to see the issue and the cause as being bigger than we are. When I have fear, and by the way, courage is not getting rid of fear, it's just acting in spite of fear. But when I have fear, that fear is very self-centered. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. Or I'm afraid of what something might happen to something that's very important to me. But, but it has a tendency to be very internally focused. And if I'm going to overcome that fear, then I have to get outside of myself and I have to see the cause as being bigger than what I am. And it's when I find a bigger reason, and if I can be convinced of something for a bigger reason than just me, then it's easier to step into it. And so when I look at this situation, and I'm like, oh, this is how it affects me, that's not big enough. If I look at it and say, well, this is how it affects somebody else, or maybe this is how it affects uh, my church, or maybe this is how it affects somebody who's very important to me, or, or this is how it affects the gospel, when I step into a bigger reason, then courage starts to come, because I'm not as focused on me, and I'm more focused on what needs to happen. And so I see the cause is bigger than I am. Courage also comes when you understand that not doing something is often just as risky or dangerous as doing something. And sometimes we look at a situation and go, oh, that's hard. I'm not sure I want to do that. So I'm not doing anything here. Well, what is the outcome if you're not doing something? 
because there are outcomes that come with that as well. And sometimes we think the choice is, well, if I do this, something bad over here could happen. Well, guess what? If we don't do this, something bad could happen by not doing that as well. And we often assume that the status quo is the safest route, but it's not. It's just simply the easiest route. Or sometimes it's the most familiar route. And sometimes we're afraid of the unknown. And so we choose a known that's ordinary, and we miss out on an unknown that could be extraordinary because we're afraid of that risk. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves that doing nothing is a bad choice because we don't grow, we don't change, we don't adventure. And maybe we need to be more afraid of sameness than we are of adventure. Thirdly, courage comes when you are willing to live with the consequences or the fallout. And I love what Esther says there. She says, you know what? If I perish, I perish. If I take this step, I realize that it might not work out. It's also interesting, if she didn't take that step, guess what was going to happen? She was going to perish. So it's just like, are we going to speed this up, or are we just going to wait for the inevitable? And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, though, that, that the fallout or, or the consequences, could they go wrong? Yeah, they could. But could they go right? Yeah, they could. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves, too, so what's the worst that could happen? And some of you, some of us, we've experienced the worst that could happen, and we still survived. And somehow still in that moment, God used that moment to grow us and to build us and to develop us. And so we get courage when we say, you know what, I'm looking at what could happen here, and it's not what I prefer, it's not what I'd hope for, but I can live with that. I can live with that maybe with, with God's grace, but I could live with that. And we're really good at predicting the negative, but sometimes we need to say, you know what? If I'm ever going to get to where I want to be, this is what I have to do. And so could it go wrong? Yes. But could it go right? That's a possibility too. Well, courage comes also when we take steps to prepare spiritually. I love what Esther does here. When, there's a pro when, when, when Mordecai faces the problem, he says, i got to go talk to Esther. When Esther faced the problem, she's like, well, let's all go fast. And the idea is, let's all go talk to God in this moment, in this situation. And when you need courage, go and talk to God because he is a part of this story. He's a part of your story. So we go and we talk to God and say, what do you want us to do? And then we go for it. And you know what? Even if we get it wrong when God sees our heart, he's big enough to make it right. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the fact that God redeems stories, and we need to be reminded of the fact that when we tackle hard things in life, we do not have to tackle them on our own. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Wouldn't it have been great when you did that to have somebody right there with you? Maybe you did. And as you look at what the thing you need to do where you need to take courage, there is a God who is there with you, and we get courage when we realize, or when we take steps to prepare spiritually and realize that God's part of the story too. And courage comes when we realize that this could be your moment. So I think this is interesting about courage. Courage is actually as much based on the decision beforehand as it is on the actual moment when you take action. 
And sometimes it's like, okay, courage was when she took that first step into the hall. Yes, it was. But courage was when she said, you know what? If I die, I die. And right there in that moment, she made that decision. After that, it was just following through in the decision. But she realized that this could be her moment. And sometimes we look at something that's a little bit intimidating. We're like, yeah, I don't know about that. When it could actually be your moment. So what happens in the story? Let's read it, okay? Verse number two of, of, um, of Esther 5. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her, and he held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the first hurdle has been cleared here. She did not die. He invited her into the room. And so the king asked, Queen Esther, what is it your request? Up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. He's basically, hey, tell me whatever you want, and it's yours. And what does she say? Verse number four, if it pleases the king, uh, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. And so she chooses not to say what it is that she wants. And she's asking for a reprieve for the Jews here. Instead, she says, how about if you come to a banquet that I'll prepare and bring Haman with you as well? And so maybe his response caught her off guard. I don't know. I think this is probably more of the plan. But what it actually does here is it ups the drama. And so, you know, we're waiting to see what the king's going to say. We're waiting to see what Esther's going to say. And it gets there, and she's like, how about if you come to a meal? And that was a great idea, too, because as we've seen in this book, the king really likes feasts and likes to eat. And so he's like, yeah, I'm in. And, you know, grab Haman and let's go. In verse number five, bring Haman at once so that we may do what Esther asked. That's interesting. Notice that phrase there, so that we may do what Esther asked. And that's just a little setup in the story. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, Now, nah, what, what, what is your petition? I'm, I'm going to do it up to half my kingdom. And the same question, and we expect Esther to answer. And she goes, Ah, you know what? This is my request. My request is that we have another banquet tomorrow. And you and Haman come again. And that just seems like a strange answer. So we have to ask what's going on, and we're not exactly told what's going on. It could be this. It could be that Esther is struggling with confidence. I would get that. And maybe she's not backing out, but maybe she's just simply buying time. She's like, I don't know if I'm ready to make my big ask here yet or not. And so it's like, how, how about if we just postpone this and we, we just put it off till tomorrow there? That could be what's going on, and I would get that. This is, pretty, this is pretty scary stuff. Or it could be that she's just being strategic here. Like, you know what? Let's really, and I'm seeing them in a, in a month. Let's, let's get the relationship going here, and then we'll get to the question. Or it could be that somehow she even sensed that she needed to wait before she made this request. And maybe that's even God working in the story because they've been praying about it ahead of time. And maybe she came to that first banquet already to ask. And it's like, you know what? I don't think I should. How about if we come back tomorrow and we do the same thing? We don't really know except for what happens next is absolutely incredible. And so... Verse number 9, Haman went out that day after this banquet, and he's happy and high spirits. He's just hung out with the queen and the king. I mean, it's just the big three now, three best friends going on here, and she's, he's feeling great about that. 
And he's gotten invited back the next night. Life couldn't be any better, right? And so he goes out. Excuse me. And when he goes out, he sees Mordecai at the king's gate and observes that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, and he was filled against Mordecai. And the best day Haman's ever had is ruined by the fact that he walks outside and his arch enemy, his nemesis, refuses to get up and bow to him. And all of the, all of the highs that he's just been on, just it all comes crashing down, and he's angry. But it says in verse 10, he restrained himself, and he went home, and he called together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and he told them about all the great things that he did, but then, and he told about how he was the only person who was invited to the banquet, but then he says what? Mordecai the Jew, I saw him sitting in the gate, and he refused to bow to me. And it just set him off, and his wife, in verse number 14, and all his friends said to him, well, have a pole set up. Reaching to a height of 50 cubits or 75 feet. Ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then you can go to the banquet and enjoy yourself. You know, just get rid of him. You're number two in the kingdom. You're busy here griping to us about Mordecai. Just go to the king and say, hey, let's get rid of this guy. And Haman's like, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? The suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. And then we go to the next chapter. And we switch scenes here to the king. That night, the king could not sleep. And those words right there are what this whole story hinges on. Isn't that crazy? Insomnia. The king couldn't sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. And it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Big Than and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. That was several chapters ago, and that was actually five years ago in the story. We talked about that earlier. And the king says, well, what recognition has this Mordecai received for this? And they answer, well, nothing was done for him. And the king's like, well, who's in the court? We've got to come up with a plan here. We've got to honor this guy. And who's in the court? Well, Haman, he's so excited about this plan, we can't tell if he's coming in in the middle of the night to ask the king. That seems kind of weird. But probably first thing in the morning, Haman's coming to request the life of Mordecai. But the the king asks who's in the court. Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai and the pole he set up for him. And the attendant said, well, Haman's standing there. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? And Haman thought to himself, you got to be kidding me. This is incredible. He's going to invite me in here and ask me what I want for myself. And so he thinks through all the different things that he'd like to have for himself, and this is what he comes up with. He says, you know what? For the one that the king wants to honor, have him bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden. And one with a royal crest placed on his head. And let not the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let the robe, uh, the robe the man the king delights to honor. Excuse me. Let them robe the, the man the king delights to honor. Lead him on a horse through the city, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And as, as Haman says these words, I, I'm sure he can just picture that in his mind. As he rides through the city and everybody just worships him. And he's feeling so great about the fact that he got to ask this for himself. 
And the king says this, great idea, Haman. Go get the robe and the horse and do just as you said. For Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, do not look like anything that you have recommended. Now, there's something interesting in that verse to start with. He called them Mordecai, the Jew. The king knew he was a Jew. What the king didn't know is that he signed a decree to have the Jews eliminated. But the king knows that. But I have to wonder what's happening with Haman. He just went from number two in the kingdom and everything just turned. In fact, it says in verse number 11, so Haman got the robe, got on the horse, he rode Mordecai, led him on horseback to the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what's done for the man that the king delights to honor. And this is actually the climax of the story right here. The conflict is now resolved. Mordecai has actually defeated Haman. Not through anything he's done, but through this dream that the kings had. And so Mordecai, in verse 12, returns from the king's um, gate. Haman rushes home with his head covered in grief and tells his wife and friends everything that's happened to him. And here's what they say to him. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. And they realize in that moment... The game is over. We can play it out, but it's a loss. And Haman has no choice. And actually, the story of Esther, the book of Esther, is decided right here and right now. Now, there's a lot to go, but it's over. And this is the climax of the story. Now, there's something really interesting here about the structure of this story. If you throw this up here on the screen, this we would recognize as a X. If you saw that in Greek, you would recognize it as the letter chi. All right? And this, is, this story is written in what we call chiastic structure or chiasm. And the idea of it is that the first half of the story comes to a point, that intersection, and that the second half of the story actually mirrors the first half of the story. And so here's the story that we have to this point. We have the king's greatness, followed by Haman elevated, followed by Haman's decree, followed by Esther and Mordecai's plan, followed by Esther's banquet, number one, followed by the dream, and that's all going in one direction. And what we're going to see, and we're not going to get very far with it this week, but it actually goes back in the exact opposite direction. So we have Esther's banquet, the dream, and then we have Esther's banquet, number two, and then we're going to go right back up that spike of the X or whatever word you would use to describe it. And we're going to see on that X a mirror image of everything that's happened in this story up to this point. But not till next week, okay? But let's go ahead and talk about Esther's banquet here. So, verse number 14, while they were still talking to Haman, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried him to the way to the banquet that Esther had prepared. But what we see here is that God has saved the queen. There's been this huge turn in this story. And it's not the queen who saves the people. It's that God saves the queen and her people. And Esther hasn't actually done anything. It's an incredible plot twist. In fact, here's the most, most incredible thing. Is this story turns while Esther is sleeping. 
And while we're back here saying, okay, you got to show courage here, Esther. You got to go in and you got to convince the king. She doesn't even have to go in. She just needs to go to bed. And she gets up the next day, and all of this crazy stuff is going on with her uncle out there riding in the streets. And then they get to the banquet here. In verse number 7, so the king and Haman went to the queen Esther's banquet as they were drinking wine on the second day. The king asked again, what is it that you want? This time the, Esther answers, I have, if I have found favor with your, your majesty, if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold and destroyed, uh, have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And she's referring to that decree that went out there. And Xerxes says to Esther, well, who did that? Who's the person who's, who's, who's put this decree in place so that you're all exterminated? And Esther looks at Haman and says, he did it. I love that there. That, that takes some, like, oomph, right? That guy right there who's sitting right there. It would have been so much easier just to leave him at home and just tell. But no, he's sitting right there. And she points and says, this vile Haman. And Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage and went out into the palace garden. And Haman, realizing the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Wow, what a reversal. In this story, and just then the king returns from the palace, from, uh, from the garden, and Haman's falling all over Esther, trying to beg her for his life, and the king says, well, even he molests the queen now that I'm not in the house. And at that, they came in and they covered Haman's face, which seems to just be a way to say that um, they prepared him for his death. And so one of the guys in there says, hey, by the way, there's this big pole that he had put out there that he built. Maybe you could use that to, you know, execute him. And, and the king's like, that's a great idea. And so we get these plot twists here. Haman is forced now to give man, honor to the man that he despises. Haman is killed. Mordecai survives. Haman is killed on the gallows that he had constructed for Mordecai. And spoiler alert, Haman is actually going to be replaced in this story by Mordecai. And so the story turns here because God chooses to step in. And that's really, really important as we finish up here by going back to our list of what courage is and how courage comes. Courage comes when we are convinced of God's sovereignty. When I choose to trust God that he can do what needs to be done and that he will do what is right because really, Courage is more about God's faithfulness than it is about your faith. And we make a lot of times the Christian life like, I need to have more faith. I need to, you know, I need to work on that. I just need to grow my faith. And we focus on our faith. And what we need to do is we need to focus on God's faithfulness. And we need to be convinced of that. And when we're convinced that God is who God needs to be, then it makes us taking steps of courage a whole lot easier. You know what's crazy in this story is all the coincidences that Haman just happens to see Mordecai after the banquet and goes out and builds these gallows. That Mordecai actually was the one to, to foil a coup back in chapter 2. That he was never 
honored for that deed. There's the, there's the coincidence that a, a second feast is planned. There's the coincidence the king gets insomnia between the two banquets. There's all these different coincidences that the king, when he can't sleep, they, they read the, the chronicles, and the chronicles that they read are right from the place of five years ago where, where Mordecai wasn't, wasn't uh, um, honored, that Haman just happens to be the one that's standing in, in the courtyard when the king's looking for an idea. Why were all those coincidences take place? Because God is faithful. And God, even though he's never mentioned in the book of Esther, is present in the book of Esther. And we see him over and over again saying, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. And where Esther was saying, I don't know if I can handle this, God's like, I got this. And maybe that's for you in your life, I don't know if I can handle this. God's saying, I got this, because that's who he is. And God acts in accord with who he is. Mordecai had said earlier what? Hey, Esther, if you stand up, that's great. And if you don't, God will deliver because God's a deliverer. And in your story, what is the attribute of God that you need to focus on? Because God will always act in accord with his attributes. If God is love, he will always act in love. If God is powerful, God will always act in power. If God is omniscient, God will always act in knowledge and wisdom. And so we need to be reminded of that if we need courage, that we need to be convinced of God's sovereignty because if God is sovereign, God will always act in control of the story. The next one here, you can find courage. Courage comes to you when you let hope guide your heart. And that's, I think, a simple point, but so important in this story is that instead of just saying, oh, you know what? We're in big trouble here. The king's made this decree and all the Jews are going to be eliminated. We're, we're done for. That Mordecai shows up in this story and talks to Esther. And Esther's like, okay, maybe I'll go talk to the king. Because they never gave up hope. And we never have to give up hope if we know who our God is. So in your story... Let hope guide your heart. And even if you're afraid and even if you're frustrated and even if you're defeated and even if you're thinking this will never work out, don't let go of that hope. And then lastly here, courage comes when you take that first step. You know what's fascinating in this story? Is Esther standing here at the edge of the hall and she has to take that step into the hall and she thinks it's all on her. Guess what? It's all on God. But God didn't act until the night following. When the king couldn't sleep. And God is very much like that. He's going to do it, but sometimes he waits for us to take that step. You think about the, the, the Jews when they had to cross the Jordan. What did they do? They had to take the Ark of the Covenant. And God was going to split the, the Jordan River for them when they did what? When they stepped into the water. When did Goliath fall? Goliath didn't fall until David stepped up and said, hey, I'll fight him, and he threw that first stone. There were three Hebrew children who went into a fiery furnace, and, and when were they spared? Not on the outside. They were spared on the inside. God waits for us sometimes to take the first step, and then he does it. So where do you need courage in your life? Maybe it's to simply hang in there. Sometimes courage is just not quitting and not giving up. 
And maybe that's what's going on in your life, but something's got you defeated and discouraged and just weighed down. Don't give up. That's what you need to do. Maybe it's a situation that you have to confront. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? And yet, you can find courage in God. Maybe you need to step out of your comfort zone, even what you're doing in ministry. Or maybe it's like, you know what, I have this person I'm really concerned about where they are spiritually, and I really got to share Christ with them, or I really need to invite them to church. Easter's coming. That's maybe, maybe that's where you need courage, to share your faith. Maybe you, you need to speak up in a situation. Maybe you need to, to try something that you never, maybe there's just a dream that you've given up on that you need to pursue. I don't know. I do know that courage is available, though, and that God brings courage to those who take that first step. It was interesting. I think it was this week. Mark walked into my office and said, we've been talking about some different things we need to do around the building. He said, I was, I was looking at this, um, this, I think it was a website or magazine called Church Production. And he was all excited about that. I'm like, wait a minute, Mark. I said, I know that guy. A church Production magazine, because he went to our church in, in Granger, South Bend, and there was one day when somebody was speaking and, and, and challenging people to, to have some courage, and he decided that he was going to quit his job, and he was going to go start this magazine for sound technicians and, and AV, that kind of stuff, for churches. And that was 15, 18 years ago, and it's still going strong. Brian Blackboard was his name, who was just working for an AV company, and somewhere got in his heart this idea that maybe God had something out of the ordinary for him. And he stepped out of his ordinary life and tried something new. And now he actually has this magazine, Church Production, which goes to churches across the, the U.S. And there's a second one, Church Design, too. Why? Because he chose to take a step of courage. What's the step of courage that you need to take today? Don't forget, in this story, Esther didn't save anybody. The queen didn't save anybody. No, God saved the queen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for the encouragement that it gives us. I pray for your people here today that sit here needing courage. I don't know what the issue is, but you do. I pray that you would use your word to speak encouragement to them, and to actually, God, I pray that you would give them just a handle on what that step is that they need to take. And that's my question to you, Christ follower. What step do you need to take? Where is fear holding you back? Where are you hesitating? Will you identify that step today? And will you decide? Because the decision is the most important part. And will you make that commitment before God? Maybe you are not a Christ follower. Maybe you come this morning and you're just kind of investigating, checking it out. You need to take courage too. To throw in with God, to throw in with Jesus Christ. We celebrated the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection earlier with communion. But if you've never trusted Jesus Christ and invited him into your life, I pray that you would do that now where you sit. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. God, we're grateful for the fact, though, that when we step out, you step in. When you step out, you step in. And we're grateful that that is the God that you are this morning. And so we worship you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning as we finish in worship? There is a prompt in your uh, bulletin on your, on your resource guide there if you're following along with your Storylines journal.
But we're finishing with a song and with a scripture this morning, right? It fits with this story perfectly. <laughs> 